Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Andrew. And, to and all, yet. And yet. And to all of our listeners, uh, Happy New Year to you guys. Uh, sorry, though, it's not going to be the happiest or goodliest of mornings today, but there you go. How are your New Year celebrations? Lovely, thank you. Relatively quiet. Just went to a friend's house and had a few drinks, watched Jules Holland. Uh, saw that they've got the original lineup of the Sugar Babes back together. Yes, I, I was watching I that too. Yeah, it was good. I thought it was a big story that the Invincibles might play a game in 2024, but the getting the Sugar Babes back together—that's <laughs> the real story of the year. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, all good, all good with you. Nice New Year's. Yeah, yeah, same. Quiet. Watched, uh, watched a movie. Watched Up actually. Um, yeah, good movie. Well, it's nearly, nearly a perfect movie in terms of what it does to you emotionally, but it's so funny as well. So watch that. Did a bit of the Jules Holland thing as well. And this morning, I'm so hungover that my hangover went back in time and hung over all the Arsenal players yesterday. And <laughs> let me tell it's you this. It's a potent hangover. Yeah, let me tell you this. Uh, I've just drunk half a can of Schweppes lime meets mango flavor, and it has not agreed with me one bit mm. um, who what kind of fucking idiot buys Schweppes lime meets mango in the first place I don't know perhaps you me I mean, how yes. did you come to acquire it I, I bought it yeah I was going yeah. Oh, that, that might be nice but of, of course it's not you were still drunk when you made that decision but, uh, it was a sober decision but I'm regretting it now uh, more than actually all the drinks I had last night because it's it just has not agreed with me at all so if there's any sort of uh moments of silence it's probably me just vomiting into a, a bin beside me here so do, do you think there's any possibility that the arsenal players took the unconventional step of having their new year's eve party on the 30th of december <laughs> it might go some way to explain what we saw yesterday sure. all jokes aside. We can't have it on the 31st we've got a game yeah, <laughs> yeah heaven we'll forbid do it the we night go before out. we will go out after the game no let's do it the night before that yeah. makes much more sense We'll all be in the hotel anyway. Um, yeah, I do wonder. <laughs> it would go some way towards explaining it, it really would. what we witnessed. Well, you know, the the, the last time we spoke uh, in, in podcast format anyway was after the game against Liverpool. Oh, man, that, uh, that feels light years ago. It does as well. And it's sort of the way the, the festive fixture list works. You know, things can change very, very quickly in a short space of time. When you look at the Premier League table... It feels like a lot has happened and a lot has changed in terms of the mood in a single week. Yes, remarkable how that's happened. I, I really thought coming off the back of beating Brighton, 
quite convincingly. Mm. Um, maybe not as convincingly as we should have done, but convincingly enough. A point at Anfield, top on Christmas Day. Remember the festivities? No. How we celebrated, how we, the mirth. <laughs> um, all they imbibing our frankincense and myrrh and gold as the wise men atop the, the Christmas table. And now, <laughs> now look at us. Now look at us, down and out vagrants uh, on New now Year's Day. Now we're just the donkey in the manger. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I we'll mean, go with it. Hey, listen, it, it's been a, a hell of a fall from grace, a rapid fall from grace as well. Now has. we're near Spurs, Andrew. Oh, that's disgusting. That's, it's th- appalling. That's, that's made me feel even worse than this fucking Schweppes abomination that I've got here and I took another yeah. sip out of to see was it as bad as I thought it was. And yes, it is. They say start as you mean to go on with the new year. I do not mean to go on in this kind of proximity to Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, that's not acceptable. Not acceptable at all. Um, I suppose we have to get into it. We have to get into it. Do we, though, Andrew? We do. That's <laughs> that's our job. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we do, unfortunately. Worth a try. It was worth a try for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. You know, you've got yeah. to give it a good lash, and look, mm. you've been overruled here, unfortunately. Um, okay, let's talk about it. Well, w- what about the... Starting lineup, Andrew. Three changes. Yes, I suppose Havertz was was a sort of obvious one, right? Yeah, Havertz was obvious, and I suppose in a way, Kivior was obvious too. In that Zinchenko was injured, um, having just spoken about him on maybe the preview podcast and saying hey, he hasn't really been injured much this season, he goes and gets <laughs> injured, which is you know it is what he does anyway. So I'm not taking any of the blame for that one. Um, yeah. But the, but Kivior in at left back was basically the only option we had, assuming you know that they they figured Tommy Asu couldn't do ninety minutes having been out for so long. Havertz back in was was not really a surprise. The surprise to me was Eddie and Kedia up front. Yeah, what do you think Mikel was thinking? Just a need to change something, a need to protect Jesus. I would, um, I would say probably the latter. Mm. I do wonder if there's something, you know, about Jesus's fitness, you know, that we're not aware of, because otherwise that decision doesn't really make any sense to me, because I don't know that that Eddie connects particularly well with Gabriel Martinelli, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that he connects well with Kai Havertz, although they did against Brighton, obviously. no, I think it, in general you're right, though. I think I think that 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 sort of left, if you want to call it like um, two triangles, maybe with with uh, the striker Martinelli and Havertz, and then Kivior, Martinelli and Havertz. I'm not sure that that's functional. Do you mm. know what I mean? No, I I mean I think the left side hasn't really uh, fired as it did last season in this season, mm. to be honest. Uh, and maybe that was somewhat inevitable given Granit Xhaka leaving, given kind of the acclimatization of Kai Havertz. Maybe that was always a risk, but I felt particularly this iteration of it did not work. You know, yeah. with Kivior at left back, Havertz and Martinelli ahead, uh, there wasn't a great deal of fluency on that side of the what do you? What did you make of the Enkedia selection and and let's you know i don't want to 
it's a day when nobody really played well at all. No. And there are issues, I think, with, with the collective performance more than anything else. But what did you make of the Eddie selection and the Eddie performance in the context of the overall team performance as well? Yeah, I, I, obviously he didn't play well, Eddie, and didn't really impact the game in any meaningful way. Um, I think the decision was probably about rotation and resting, which we should remember is a feature of this time of year, right? This point in the calendar. Mm. You you cannot just play the same 11 game after game after game every three or four days. And in fact, I think there is a, a case to be made that what we saw at Craven Cottage was kind of a bit of a consequence of having to have done that a lot recently. Um, you know, I, I don't wish to make an excuse for the players, but... They looked much sharper than us. They'd had a bit more recovery time and we have not been blessed with options to rotate too much. So I could see a logic in protecting a player who has suffered a fair bit with injury mm. over the past, since he arrived at the club. Um, it obviously didn't work at all. And, uh, you know, this was not a good day for Eddie or, to be honest, pretty much any other outfield player on that Arsenal team. Um, and the one bit of mitigation I would offer is that, you know, when we got Jesus on for the last 25 minutes or wherever it was, he he also barely had a kick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we uh, we just did not play in, in a cohesive enough manner to ever really get our centre-forwards into the game. Now, would you like your centre forwards to do more than that to kind of force their way into, way into the game in an ideal world? Absolutely, and that did not happen. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't hate it. I have to be honest. Obviously, I think Jesus is a much better player than Inketia, and he's clearly the first choice. But you know, there is there comes a point in the season where you have to rotate a little bit to to kind of maintain the freshness. But obviously, it didn't work. We'll come to you know how the game. Uh, transpired and all the rest of it. Mm. But I think you're right that the, the most eye-catching moment that I can remember from Gabriel Jesus was some valiant defending in the right-back position, yeah, which tells you so much about the performance and so much about how the game went for us and, and you know, what our forward players had to do to get involved. And, you know, he's all the way back there defending his heart out when really we needed him up the other end of the pitch and we needed the ball to be up the other end uh, of the pitch, which was something that we, we struggled with. But we'll get to that. It couldn't have started any better for Arsenal, though, because mm. there was a lot of pre-game chat about Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka and their contributions in terms of <clears throat> goals and assists this season. Uh, that wasn't me um, sounding like I was going to cry. It's just my voice is going uh, a little bit there. <laughs> but, we're all friends here. Yeah, we? that's okay. Um, but, you know, five minutes in and we're, we're a goal up because Martinelli had a shot that was saved and Bakayo Saka was there to, I don't know if you could say, took home the rebound? How would you say he he put that rebound home? Sort of, uh, I'd say it sort of hit him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, I don't think he knew very much about it. Uh, I once scored a goal like that uh, on Hackney Marshes where a guy had a shot, it hit the post, came back, and it sort of cannoned off me and, and flew into the net. And it looked like a really smart finish. Uh, <laughs> and afterwards, everyone was like, did you know what you're doing there. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas the reality was, it just hit me as I was running. And um, Sackers was a bit like that. It, it could have gone anywhere, frankly. But we got that bit of luck 
that, you know, maybe we've not had in front of goal uh, against West Ham, say. Yeah, sure, where he hit the post, for example, you know, or, yeah, you or know. He, when he hit the post and the ball came out and there were two Arsenal players there and it, it squirted off. And, and credit to him. I mean, he takes up a good position. It's actually a nice goal. I think David Raya does pretty well, claims across at the near post, gets it out early. Kai Havertz finds Martinelli. I think what a difference it makes. You see Martinelli running into space, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to facing up, you know, two banks of four or five sometimes. Runs into space, has a good shot. Bernalino makes a very good save, but Saka's followed it in and he gets his reward. And you couldn't have wished for a better start to the game. No, but that was about as good as it got from an Arsenal perspective. Like it really was because... yeah. For the rest of the game, I don't think Bernd Leno had anything to do beyond the sort of meat and drink of of goalkeeping. Uh, There wasn't a save to make, as far as I can remember. And, you know, to go 1-0 up is is almost the perfect scenario. Away from home, go a goal up. It means the other team have to come and play a bit. Then you can, you know, ideally exploit some of the space that they're going to leave behind. But I, I think as poorly as we played ourselves, I also think Fulham played quite well. I think they. I do, I do too. Yeah. I think they played well. They were confident. They were good on the ball. They they played out through our press quite a few times. They were aggressive in the defending, um, high up the pitch, and made it really difficult for us. And you know, when you couple that with a day where we just don't play and don't create anything, you're going to invite problems, and you're probably going to get punished if you don't defend as well as as you need to. Um, I yeah, mean, I think. I think. Um, their press was quite good, you know. They they went after us in central areas when we tried to play through there. Um, and I think we went after them. That's the thing. I think mm. when they had the ball at the back, we really tried to kind of push on, close the space, be aggressive. And whether or, whether or not it was just fatigue or whether or not it was that extra day that they had, they were able to kind of circumnavigate our press pretty impressively. Uh, on several occasions. And there aren't many teams who do that, which makes me think we must just have dropped off, you know, in Mm. our level, be it fitness, be it um, motivation, whatever it is, we just weren't at the races uh, in that facet of our game. And, you know, we may, they, they did well, they did well, but I'd say if we were at our best, they would have had a lot less success playing I mean, through our press. There seemed to be a, a lack of coordina- uh, coordination with our press at times yeah. as well. Like, <sighs> well, Jesus is is pretty important to it. Yeah, you know? and I and look, I know they're different players, and I know Jesus is a better player than Eddie, but I don't really understand why, if what Jesus does in the press is so important to us, why Eddie can't replicate that. You know, mm-hmm. it's a physical thing. It's not a it's not a talent thing. You know, it's it's basically running and I don't really understand why there is such a difference between the two of them when they play or when Eddie plays up top and there was a moment I could have been in the second half where Odegaard got really frustrated um, because the press just wasn't there he had a look around and couldn't see anybody and threw his arms up and and was really frustrated by that but I mean I'll venture an explanation I, I just don't think Eddie you know, I think Gabriel Jesus, although we talk about his injuries and the need to protect him in that 90 minutes on the field, yes, there's effort and application, but I think he's also got great stamina and great physical capacity. And it just seems to me that Eddie is not at that level, you know. Uh, you know, as much as he may have improved his upper body strength and other aspects of his game, 
I don't think he's got that physical intensity. If, if I think about Eddie, like, you know, when he comes on into games, he often doesn't get the pace of it straight away. Or when he starts games, he fades after 60 minutes. Um, you know, from a physical dimension, mm. he's more of a... He's closer to a, a Lacazette than a Jesus. Right. You know? So he's more of a, you know, 200 meter runner rather than a 5,000 meter. <laughs> you know, well, I mean. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that. And, and, and as you say, it's in the current model that we play, it's a pretty important thing. Mm. Um, and if you're going to press, and I do think that's what we tried to do to Fulham, you know, you, it's a gamble and you've got to win that gamble or you're vulnerable. And, you know, if you look at the goal we conceded, we yeah. do actually win the ball yeah. high, but then are careless with it. And that costs us very dear. Well, yeah. Yeah, because th- that's exactly what you want to do is win the ball where we won it. But when you lose it where we lost it, mm-hmm. you're, you're vulnerable then to um, to the opposition taking advantage of that, which they did to very good effect. And I, I don't think it's unfair to say that the goal that they scored was, you couldn't say it was against the run of play, for example, because they did have some chances. I think there was one from Jimenez from the edge of the box and Raya made a save. There was also a corner, which Jimenez got to first and put it over the bar. I'm not sure it was a, a, a brilliant chance or anything, but certainly when you um, when you can win the ball in the penalty area, it's, it's dangerous um, when you're the defending team. And their goal, I think, caught us out where maybe we're just like, one or two percent off defensively, but that's that's all it takes. Um, didn't get across quite quickly enough to block the cross. Cross is very good. I think you have it to is say a great cross, it is yeah. a great cross. Great ball into the back uh, back post. Maybe Kivior is a little uh, tucked in, but I also think it's an excellent ball. If we were analysing that goal the other way around, we'd be talking about the quality of the ball in rather than the the defending, if you like. Yes, it's into that corridor, isn't it, between the back line and and the goalkeeper, where it's very difficult to deal with. I think Kiwi or you know, maybe the centre-back in him does get sucked into a little bit more of a central position than you would like. I'm not sure he knows exactly where Jimenez is, um, but it's well executed. I do think it's all on that moment. You know, I think Ben White jumps in and wins the ball. Uh, I can't remember who he finds. Is it Saka or Eddie? Someone in it. Saka, I think it is. And Calvin Bassey comes out, takes it off him. He had a storming game at centre-half, I thought, for Fulham. He did. He was doing tricks and pirouettes all over the pitch. And I was like, (laughs) at some point, this guy's going to get caught. You know, it's going to go wrong for him, but it didn't. No, he had a good game. And um, yeah, you know, if you look at that sort of freeze-frame moment where where, uh, Saka's dispossessed, you know, Ben White is... The furthest man upfield, um, Declan Rice ha- has just gone to press really high as well, so he's vacated that space. Uh, Martin Odegaard's out the game, so suddenly we're four or five players out the game. I mean, when that cross comes in, Kai Havertz is basically defending the centre back position yeah. because you know we're so out of shape. So yeah, it, it's it's frustrating from our part because you know obviously it's a bit careless what happens. Um, but they do execute it well. As yeah. Well. I, I When we got to the end of the first half, because there were a couple of moments for Arsenal towards the end of the first half, there was a chance for Martinelli, maybe a bit of a sliding doors moment in this game where he put it wide with his left foot. It was yeah. one of those where I think he kind of had to adjust his feet quite quickly. I didn't think that was a bad effort, I've got to say. I didn't think so either. I think if it had been on target, it was going in, despite the fact it lacked any real pace. It was just, you know, it would have caught Leno out. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then there was a, I think, an Enkedia shot, a Declan Rice shot, um, you know, which didn't come close to troubling Leno. But it, it sort of occurred to me that the first half we saw from Arsenal was not atypical of a side that has just played a couple of days previously, where the first half is not quite a warm-up, but it takes you a while to get going again. And that's kind of what I thought when we got to the end of the first half, because although we didn't play well, those little moments towards the end of the half made me think, okay, they're beginning to feel it a bit here. And, and the second half, you know, we'll, we'll come out and we'll be a lot better. Yeah, naively, I, yeah. I was similarly optimistic that we would improve. Oh, I was completely wrong, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and maybe I thought that Fulham might tire a little. They were playing quite a physically intense style, as I say, you know, going after us a bit. Um, and I wondered if that might fade and play into our hands. I also knew we had the likes of Jesus to come off the bench. So, yeah, I was uh, similarly optimistic. And, and he made a change as well at half time. Which, which, yeah. uh, you know, I, if Tomiyasu is deemed fit, then I, I, I guess made sense. I guess so. I mean, I think Kivior struggled. I, there was a moment in about halfway through the first half where a guy ran past him. Could have been Castagna, the right back. Ran past him and Kivior, it was almost like seeing somebody's batteries run out in real time. Mm. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember, but I was looking at it going... That is so weird because, like, you can see a player run past another player all the time, but it was like Kivior was almost moving backwards despite the fact he was going forwards. It was really, really weird. So I wonder if he did something. Uh, I wonder if he did something there. And we've we've talked about him a little bit as a as a player. It's difficult to assess what exactly we've got here when he is a central defender being asked to play at left back, but also being asked to play the Zinchenko role, if you want to call it that. I do wonder what or if it might have been more advisable to play him as a more traditional left-back or tilt it the other way a little bit and and perhaps get Ben White more involved because he seems a, a little more comfortable on the ball. I mean, he's. I'm not saying he was out of his depth, but it is a difficult role to play. You know, we've talked about Zinchenko, but he is technically an exceptional player, you know, who has these moments that we all understand, but but on the ball, he's a very, very accomplished footballer. And this is a central defender being asked to play out of position twice, if you like. He's being, you know, so it is really hard to assess what, what kind of a player he is. I know you have some doubts. Um, I, I sort of like some of what I've seen so far when we have seen him in the centre, but I don't know that that particular iteration of the left-back role really suits him. I know Tommy Asu came in and and did it, but I think he's a bit more experienced and and maybe a better, uh, more two-footed than than Kivior is, so it's sort of easier for him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of reserve any real judgment until I see him get a run of games as a left-sided centre-back because that's what he was bought for. Um, You know, I think... Tomiyasu, Zinchenko, Timber would probably, if fit, all be ahead of him in the pecking order mm. for that left-back spot. But I do, you know, the thing about inverting, I mean, Kivior's first season in Serie A, he played predominantly as a holding midfield player, as far as I know. So, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be completely alien to him, mm. um, even if I accept it is a tactically nuanced and, and complex role. Yeah, I, I I really think that 
he looks to me like a guy who needs that run of games in his preferred position. I don't think that we can. I think I think we I think we missed a player like Zinchenko yesterday in terms of the progression that he offers. And I think it's as much about the partnership and the relationship between that player and the left-sided central midfield player. You know, Havertz has many, many attributes, but as I've said before on here, I don't think kind of uh, forward passing and playing between the lines is necessarily one of them. And I think if you've got Zinchenko in behind him, then you can kind of even that out. Uh, but I think without Zinchenko, as I say, I think that made that pretty stodgy on, on that side. So, yeah, listen, Tommy Asu coming on. Well, it was good to see him. I don't know how long we'll see him for because obviously the Asia Cup uh, is just around yeah. the corner. So good news and bad news, I guess, that he's back. Yes, I presume Arsenal will want him around for the uh, for the Liverpool game, which is on the mm. 6th, is it? That's right. And um, the Asian Cup, Japan's first game is on the 14th. So I'm assuming they would be well within their rights to call up a player for an international tournament um, if they wanted, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe it'll be beneficial for Japan if he could get some competitive minutes before that game as well. So that might be the yeah. way that Arsenal try and sell that one to him. But, you know, second half. So the change was made. Second half is probably the worst half of football Arsenal have played this season. Before I get into that, can I ask you a question about the referee and I don't want to go big on the referee. Have you ever seen a referee get in the way of players and the ball as much as this guy did yesterday? No, that's a fair point, actually. It was unbelievable. It was like a, a magnet. Yeah. yeah. I don't, like I he don't tackled know. He wanted to be Iwobi. close to the action, I guess. He tackled Iwobi, basically, at one point and then let us play on. I think we had a... Did we have a shot? I can't remember. Um, I think we might have done. It could have been Martinelli who had a shot. But the referee like um, knocked Iwobi over and then played on, and that was I noticed it in the first half as well. But well, they're normally very quick to stop the play now, aren't they? When they interfere, I think there's a directive about that. You know, they they, they blow up pretty swiftly, even mm. if the ball just deflects off them slightly. Um, maybe it's slightly different for an off the ball collision. But yeah, mm. I did notice that he had a real capacity to to get in the way. Um, but Arsenal's main problem was kind of... I, Arsenal were very much in their own way for much of that second half. That is very true. Um, 66% possession in the second half. 88% yeah. pass success rate. We did not very little with all the possession that we had. And I, I think the, the pace of our game is a problem at the moment and was a problem yesterday. The reluctance to play a slightly more risky pass more quickly further forward is causing us all kinds of of problems because you know there were moments I think I noticed it in the first half when Ben White could have played it to Bakayo Saka like over the halfway line and even if Saka has to go backwards a bit it 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 starts to stretch out the opposition defense. Mm-hmm. It makes them run backwards and then they have to get reorganized again. But what happens is we take a touch, we take too much time, we don't make the pass, we recycle possession, we go backwards, we go across and, and all the rest. And, you know, that was true of Ben White. It was true of Declan Rice yesterday. It was true of William Saliba. It was true of Gabrielle, all of whom had, you know, 100 passes basically in the game, more or less. But it's the speed at which we were able to get the ball forward or not get the ball forward in any um, 
quick way, I think that was, for me, a big, big feature of this second half. Like, we did not look like we were going to pull Fulham apart at all. No, I think that's fair. Um, I think the pace of our play has slowed this season. And I think it's, we've spoken many times about that potentially being deliberate, you know, to kind of um, eliminate some of the chaos that blighted us towards the end of last season. I think one maybe unanticipated side effect of that is, you know, the longer you take in possession, the more time the defence has to be set, you know, and we are finding ourselves coming up against very highly organised teams who are kind of given the time to get themselves organised. And I know you speak about the passing out from the back and maybe not making ambitious passes, but in defence of those players, I think there is also an onus on the forwards to move, to give them options. You know, there were several points in the game where, you know, particularly Gabriel, maybe because he's the most expressive, but would have the ball at the halfway line and they they were very static in front of him. And I, I actually felt a little bit for some of those mm. back players because I was like, there, there aren't great options here. And I know that we're very big on positional play um, and structure, but really what was required yesterday was a bit of variation and breaking of that structure to kind of pull Fulham around. And sure. I felt that in some ways, maybe, you know, we know Arteta loves players who stick to the plan. But I think yesterday was a day which was crying out for someone to not stick to the plan. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that now in a second. Okay. Because, you know, we'll come to, we'll come to uh, the changes he made and what he tried to do to change the game. And maybe we can talk about what he should have done to change the game. Um, but we were two, two, one down. Um, what was Thoughts it on, on the, that on that goal? Um, scrappy kind of like. Yeah, I don't know that the, anybody is particularly at fault, but it's not particularly decisive defending. Again, it's sort of reminded me a little bit of the the first West Ham goal where we kind of got in our own way, as you've already said, a little bit like that, bit unlucky, yeah. bit careless. I don't know. It's yeah, just... I, I described it on my video as unlucky, but also untidy. Like, yeah, that's good. I do think things went against us, but we also had three opportunities to clear the ball, mm. at which we weren't able to take with conviction, you know. Um, so, and I think probably there was a bit of misfortune in the way the ricochets landed for Fulham, but I think none of us are kind of inclined to give us all the benefit of the doubt, given their overall performance. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, I think we were, uh, you know, we didn't really deserve anything from this game, but I think the precise way in which that ball dropped for them to finish, I think there was a bit of misfortune. Yeah, sure. but there's still plenty of time for Arsenal to do something about it because there's an oh, hour yeah. an hour gone, you've still got, ha- uh, you know, uh, half an hour to play plus whatever injury time there might be. So loads of time to respond and loads of time to react there was a moment, I guess, a chance for Bakayo Saka not long after their goal where the ball fell to him at the back post. Like, I don't think it's a, a sitter or anything like that because it is, a, I suppose, a difficult skill when the ball is dropping out of the air. But he really ought to have done uh, better with, with the chance that he had. He just put it over the bar. I, I mean, I think he had time probably to take a touch. Um, so do I. I'm watching it now again. Mm. I mean, listen, 
I thought Alan Smith was on commentary and he, he, I thought he was quite generous. He was like, well, it's not easy when they're dropping out the sky. And he's right. But this is a really talented player in Bukayo Saka. And I know he's young and I, I sort of don't mean to put too much on him, but we needed him to put that away in that yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like moments in games have weight and that was one, like to be... 2-1 down, to get that opportunity within two or three minutes to immediately cancel the lead out and give yourselves half an hour to win it. Like, you want your star yeah. to take that chance. And I'm not trying to kill him for it. But no, no, I get it. I get yeah, it. I, 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 think, I think he's good enough to do it. And I expect it better from him. Mm. So on 67 minutes, he made two changes. Leandro yeah. Trossard and Gabriel Juice, uh, uh, Jesus came on and... Gabriel Martinelli and Ben White went off. Mm. And downhill from there, really. Yeah, it really was. I mean, um, sort of the, the footballing equivalent of, of coming home to see our uh, house on fire and then pouring petrol on it to try and put the fire out. It just yeah. really did not work. And I think that's where the manager you know, has to take most responsibility, really. Um, because that was his opportunity to yeah. be active and influence the game. Like, I, uh, I, I sort of get it from the point of view of like, well, I'll take a fullback off and put a forward player on and we'll get more players in the uh, in the opposition half and all the rest. But, like, what well, was our shape? After 10 minutes of that, it was clear it wasn't helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you need to respond to, you know? Like, we went to it. Sure, let's try it. We've tried it in other games this season. We've had some success, um, you know, maybe in the final stages at Luton or whatever it might be in that sort of shape. Uh, but it became clear pretty quickly it wasn't helping us against Fulham. No. Uh, and, you know, we, we kind of persisted with it. Did we have but- the ability to reconfigure with the players that we had on the pitch? Probably, yeah. I think you always do, don't you? I mean, we're always saying how Mikel prizes players who are versatile and tactically intelligent and give you options. I, I think there were other things we could have, couldn't, should have done. Mm. Um, uh, listen, do I know what they are right now? Top of my head, no. But I'm, I'm not the manager, you know. And I think if we could see it wasn't working, then yeah, he ought to have as well. I mean, there, there was a lot that was tricky about it. You know, I think we went to a back three, which was. Maybe Tommy Asu on the right, Gabriel on the left, and, and Saliba in the middle. Mm. But neither Gabriel nor Tommy Asu really are going to sort of push on and give you width there. Well, I mean, they um, can't either because they're playing in a back three. It's not like exactly. they're playing in fullback positions. You know, this is where I, I think we really struggled to get the ball to Trossard and Saka. Like we did a mm. little bit to Saka towards the end of. Um, towards the end of the half, where he had some, you know, some poor crosses and um, Trossard. But when we did, obviously, yeah. there's no one on the overlap. There's no run it, taking exactly, a man away. Yeah. We're just putting them in more and more positions where it's two defenders on one. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we we just, as I say, we just could not play through them. I mean, like my abiding memory of this game will be Arsenal's defenders on the halfway line on the ball, looking yeah. for a way through. Yeah, I and mean, failing to find one. I mean, they, Saliba tried that sort of yeah. completely vertical pla- uh, pass quite a few times, and it, it just didn't work because Fulham read it and defended well. Um, I, I want to come back to what you said about the game needing something a little bit different or somebody a little bit different. 
What do you make of the Havertz off Nelson on substitution when we have a player like Emile Smith-Rowe who could have come on for Havertz probably, in my mind anyway, in terms of what we had on the bench, maybe the best option we had to introduce a little element of, if not chaos, somebody who can uh, receive the ball and turn and uh, burst between lines, defensive lines, somebody who's got a little bit of something extra to his movement. Like, I don't want to kill Reese Nelson or anything like that, but he, he just, what's the point? What was the point of him in that game? Particularly when we weren't getting the ball in wide areas, I just don't. I just don't get it. Uh, an addendum to that question: What does it make you think, if anything, of where Emil Smith Rowe now stands in the Mikel Arteta pecking order, or whatever he's got in his mind? Well, pretty far down the list, um, and, and you know, I think he's had some decent little cameos, Emil Smith Rowe, uh, in the last few weeks. I think he's come on, looked bright. Uh, when we've seen him. It, certainly, as I was watching the second half unfold, his name was one that kept coming to mind. Um, I probably would have had him on ahead of Trossard, for example. Yes. I mean, Trossard's uh, only contribution in the last couple of games has been to take some of the worst corners and crosses I've ever seen. Yes. It, yeah, quite maddening. Um, and I think he's a good player, but unfortunately that has been his some contribution really over the last couple of games. Smith Rowe clearly is not, uh, in favour, I think, or not trusted is maybe the right word to use by the manager at this point in time. Um, but he does provide the possibility, possibility at least, of a spark or something different, uh, which is what we what we desperately needed. Instead, we kind of carried on doing what we'd been trying and failing to do for most of the ninety minutes. Um, mm. And got nowhere with it. I, it was a very, very, as Arteta said himself afterwards, a very different performance from the West Ham one. A much worse one. I think certainly the worst performance of the season. Um, and now I guess the job is to kind of figure out if that's an anomaly or mm. to what extent, you know, we are seeing patterns concerning patterns emerge. Yeah, I mean, that. there's a couple of ways of looking at it, at it I suppose. One yeah. is that had we won that game yesterday, we would have been top of the Premier League, <laughs> right? I know. You yeah. ha I, I don't think that context can be ignored. And as we said, you know, we were talking a week ago, and I'm not saying everything in the garden was rosy, but I think the mood was pretty good and there was relative confidence about, you know, where we were uh, going, what we're capable of doing. And a week later, there are a lot of questions and I've seen a lot of discussion about this. And do you feel like this was in the post for a while in terms of a performance and maybe beyond the performance? Do you think these couple of defeats were perhaps um, an inevitability of, of the way we have played at, at times this season and particularly through the month of, of December where you know, we did beat Brighton very well. Was Luton game in December? I mean, that's one. It was, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was before this little run where we kind of had a lucky, yeah. lucky escape, a late escape, certainly. Um, I, it, 
I'm not sure. You know, there's a lot of people queuing up to say they saw this coming and the signs were there. I mean, I'm looking back at our results from last season and only once did we lose consecutive Premier League games mm. in the entirety of last season. And that was right at the death when we got beat by Brighton and then went to Forest in the penultimate game of the, of the season and got beaten as mm. well. So only at the very surrender of our title challenge did we go two games without collecting a single point. Dan, that this is a real blow and a, a, a bad point in the season. I, I have, I have to... I'd love to sit here and be like, oh, I was Nostradamus and I absolutely knew this was going to happen. I, I have to be honest and say I am quite surprised at how bad we were at Fulham. I, I did think we were... I'm not saying we've been perfect this season. We've certainly had our problems and it's been a continuing thread maybe on this show and others about the attack and are we playing with the same fluency? Are we scoring enough goals? You know, I accept all that for sure, but I don't think I quite anticipated our performance bottoming out as dramatically as it did against Fulham. I would tend to agree with that. I, I, I think we've had some issues and we've we've discussed those uh, throughout the season, but I was really, really shocked at how bad the performance was. I think mm. it's rare as well um, for Mikel Arteta to get it so wrong with his substitutes. I know that that's been a, a discussion point often as well, but to yeah, to make his goals off the bench, I think in the yeah. league this season, it's generally been quite effective. Yeah, and, and yesterday he got it. He got it really wrong. I think he got the maybe the. We could maybe caveat the team selection with the with the protecting Jesus element of things. That might well be the reason. But if it was just a tactical change, playing Eddie up top yeah. was when he got wrong as well. But I, I'd agree with you that this performance was a surprising one um, because it was just so bad. It was it was like a two out of ten performance mm -hmm. from Arsenal. And we've been a bit six out of ten, a bit seven out of ten at times this season, whereas last season there was a lot of eight and nine out of ten. So uh, I know where the worries stem from, but I just think individually every single player on that pitch was well below par. Collectively, we were below par. The game was not influenced well from the sidelines. And I suppose my glass half full outlook, if I have one, is that that Every team, pretty much every team, has a blip at some point throughout the season. Yeah. And we have to now make sure that this was our blip. And I use past tense um, deliberately there because there is a chance now to reset. We've got an FA Cup game, which is a big one, and I think we will take that very seriously, and I think we'll play essentially our strongest team against Liverpool. But Do after you, that, you strong as yeah, that, yeah, I think he will. I think he will, particularly after the last couple of weeks. I think he will, you know, he'll play the team he thinks has got the best chance of, of winning the game. And that's, you know, it's not one that almost picks itself, but I think we could all uh, have a good go at picking that team. And then there's a break, isn't there? So it's like two weeks between that and our next game. I think, are they doing like a... A warm weather training camp thing? Are they getting away? I'm not sure they usually do, don't they, this yeah. time of year? So they might do something like that. And I think then it's a it's a time to sort of reset and go again. So that is that is 
my slightly optimistic outlook on on the timing of this mm. blip and these two defeats it's far from ideal no question about it the the festive fixture list means that the table can shift quite dramatically in a very short space of time where one week you're looking great the next week you're like what the fuck and i think that's where we are but it's probably better to have this blip mid-season if we can correct the course and if we can get going again it's far better to have this mid-season when you've got time to make up for it how many times have people looked at the table at this time of the season and said and look i'm not saying we're man city uh, or anything like that but maybe man city aren't quite there and then they go on this second half run in uh, in the season where all their special vegetables kick in and they um you know they win all these games in a row and they end up winning the title so there is there is time and room to get things back on track but i wonder as well if the the sort of the level of the performance is a bit of a shock to the to the players bit of a wake up call perhaps certainly when you looked at Mikel Arteta in his post match interview it's very very rare to see him almost blindsided by you know how bad the game was and how bad his team were uh, and you know as we said uh, how how wrong he got it yeah i mean we have had a year off from these festive fixtures and i think it is worth remembering that you do get typically some odd performances and odd results at this time of year i think maybe just because of the intensity of the schedule because of the fatigue of the players there is a propensity for you know, some slightly freakish aberrations to occur. Um, and let's hope that is what happened at Craven Cottage. Weirdly, actually, what it, almost what it makes me feel even more is regret about Wednesday night and West Ham because mm. I can kind of understand and almost make my peace with losing a game when you play poorly. But when you play well, you've got to win. Like when you dominate yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and are good. They say they say the mark of a title winning team is winning when you play badly. What worries me is we're a team that on one or two occasions of this season has failed to win when they've played well. Mm. You know, yeah, that, yeah. that that worries me a bit. Like I, I you know, this run of results, it's like, okay, we dropped points at Anfield, but I'm like, well, it wasn't a bad performance. We dropped points against West Ham, but it wasn't a bad performance. We dropped points at Aston Villa. By and large, it wasn't a terrible performance. But how many times can you say that? Yeah. You know, at a certain point, it becomes a problem. And and I do think that problem is putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, yeah, ultimately, it comes down to that, doesn't it? You know, not it taking does, chances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the the fact that our offensive form and defensive form has gone off a cliff at the same time means that those kinds of uh, results are inevitable. Yeah. And I, and I think it's probably too simplistic to say, oh, we need a finisher. We need a Haaland. It's like you've got to also play the football to generate those chances. I think it's not just that we're missing chances. It's the type of chances we're creating mm. um, and if we're doing enough of that. So, yeah, it, I, I'm with you. It was really disappointing, but if New Year is anything, it is a time for kind of uh, assessment and resolutions. And Mikel Arteta and Arsenal will have plenty to think about over the next few days. Um, and, and in some ways, it offers some 
clarity maybe i i certainly am not one of those who's like well that's it season's over no. uh you know we've got no chance of the title the league is so tight and so congested we spoke about being top at christmas and now being in fourth well that tells you if that can change that quickly in two games how competitive it is, how close it is. It can change that quickly again, but we need to be much, much, much better than we were at Fulham. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think that's a good point at which to to end part one, and there's probably more things we can talk about in the in the context of this performance and the rest of the season um, in part two with, with the questions. So let's take a break here, and we'll be back with your questions and more in part two, which is right after this. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, apologies if you hear any sort of hammering in the background there. One of James's neighbors is, I don't know what he's doing, making a, making a coffin for his New Year's resolutions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is odd. Hammering on New Year's Day. I think should be illegal when everyone's already mm. hung over. Yeah. What you don't want is the sound of someone hangering, hang, ha, ha, hangering, hammering. Yeah. Hangering there with their hangers. Yeah, exactly. So apologies for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's have, a I've question. got a big question. here. You've got a big one. Okay. This guy's gone big. Newtown Gooner on the discord has gone big. Okay. So big that someone's responded to it with a fire emoji. Oh, um, Newtown Gooner says, at what point should the club do with Arteta what Arteta has done with Tierney, Ramsdale, Leno et al? (laughs) Has the squad hit a wall in its development with a manager still in his first job? And should we expect more after five years and enormous financial outlay? Um, The hammering guy... The hammering guy is like... like, He he agrees. Yeah, this could be Morse code. Maybe... Maybe he's trying to signal. He's trying you to submit a question. Yeah, by Morse code, by hammering on the walls. I mean, look, I think it is a different thing for managers and players. You know, the ruthlessness thing. I think you know, a manager is dealing with a squad of twenty-five players. Over time, you know, you need to upgrade or or you need to uh, rebuild or do something a little bit different with your squad. There is only one manager, 
So it's slightly different scenario from the club's perspective. We have spoken maybe quite recently, was it around the four-year anniversary of mm. Mikel Arteta taking over? We're into his fifth year, and I think overwhelmingly it's been positive. Are we quite where we want to be? No, because we don't have a trophy, but are we a long way from where we were in the right direction? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I don't think that that ruthless thing applies to managers in the same way that it does with players. Um, but I suppose when there is a lot of money and a lot of investment, you know, if things start to plateau, if a manager doesn't get results or bring the success that, you know, he obviously wants to and, and has spoken about on many occasions, then there will come a point where, you know, a discussion will have to be had or a decision will have to be made. I don't know that uh, we're anywhere near that at this moment in time, though. Nowhere. No, I, I, listen, I think we're absolutely not near it. Um, and I don't think we should be. I think Arteta has really brought the team forward leaps and bounds. And I think we're essentially talking about a bad week here. Um, and and, and I, I think that would be a, a, a real overreaction. Uh, I will say that, like, I think Arteta also, maybe unlike a player has the capacity to do, has sort of managed himself into an incredibly strong political position mm. within the club. And I, I don't think, like, I, I don't think there are people within the club uh, trying to get, <laughs> who would be ever minded to get Mikel out. You know, I think it really is his club at this point in time. I know there's people like Edu and Tim Lewis and other people, but he has kind of reshaped things in his image. And Arsenal, in my opinion, have ended kind of a little bit back where they were with Arsen, where you've got a guy in the dugout who is essentially running the club. Sure. Um, yeah. And listen, I think he warrants that. Like, I think he's done a terrific job. Um, but like you say, there are better structures in place now with Edu as the sporting yes. director and per Mertesacker. I think there is more delegation across the various areas of the club, but certainly, you know, he's a very, very powerful figure and, you know, he's made himself a powerful figure because he's done an incredible job at this football club. And there are things that will frustrate people and, you know, how high you are on Arteta is going to vary from fan to fan. But, you know, the, the fact that we're, frustrated because we're fighting for a title is kind of the best frustration there is as a football fan. You know, that's, yeah, that's, the, that's where we are. You know, it's been a crap week, no two ways about it. It has been a really crap week. And I think the natural inclination of any human and certainly a football fan is that when something goes wrong, you can easily see all the negative aspects of a situation or a squad or whatever. And when things are going right, maybe the uh, the positive aspects of those get overblown a little bit at times. So we can fluctuate quite wildly from one extreme to the other based on what these 11 guys do on a football pitch. And this yeah. week, nobody's going to be at all happy with what they've delivered. And book stops with the manager. So, yeah. you know, he knows that more than anybody, which is why I think, you know, this, this, chance to reset is actually very very important at this point of the uh, of the season yeah i do think that michael probably needs to win something relatively soon 
Like, mm-hmm. not to keep his job or anything like that, but just in my estimation, given the level of investment and the fact that he's sort of run relatively close in the league last season, um, involved in the title chase again this season, you know, I, I do think that had he not won that FA Cup in his first few months at the club, uh, I think more questions would be being asked. He did, of course, win it. So credit mm. to him. But I think we're approaching a time where he needs to add to that, really. Given the level of investment, like in my eyes, yeah. I, I want to see him bring in some silverware in the next, certainly in the next 18 months. I think he, I think he sort of needs that, really. I know he got Champions League qualification and that would have been massive for the club, massive for the owners, you know, huge economically, brings the club closer towards the kind of self-sustaining financial model that, that KSC ultimately want to operate by in the long run. But as fans, we want to see silverware and mm. we want street parties and we want parades. Um, and, and I think... I think that is, you know, obviously the next step. Yeah, that has to be, um, is is tangible success. So uh, I think, I just think we're on, you know, a better track to achieve that than we have been uh, at any time in the last decade, you know? So uh, anyway, let's take this one from, boom, 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 I lost it. I had it and then I lost it. And just life, mate. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Uh, here it is. It's from John Knott, who's at John Knott one on Twitter. He said, Ghana's AFCON squad does not include Thomas Partey. It was officially yes. announced today. He is not in the squad. John's question is, is this good for us or a bad sign about his injury? Yeah. I mean, he's not ready from what I understand. Um, and, you know, Arsenal have been keen for him to not be rushed in this comeback. Um, is it good for us? I think it probably is better for us than not. Uh, but I'm not crossing my fingers that we're going to be seeing him on the pitch, you know, when we mm. face Liverpool in a week's time. Um, but I think the risk of him going away, playing probably quite a lot of minutes with Ghana outside of the club's jurisdiction, as it were. Would we not be sending the dude with him, no? Or- yeah, I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. But even then, you know, you, you're not making selection decisions for them. Um, I think he's probably better off with us. But I really am at the point with Partey where I almost consider his fitness a bonus at this point in time. And I think that's just because I've sort of grown so frustrated of the persistent absences. What, mm. what do you think? I mean, I think it's a bad sign about the injury that he's not yeah. ready to go. I think they they did talk about end of December, early January. So I don't know if he's had any kind of setback. But if he's not ready to to go and play a couple of games in a couple of weeks' time, let's not forget, like he could have had some training and built some competitive minutes playing for Ghana. Maybe he would have got injured again. So I think he's probably some way from coming back for us. So I don't know when we're going to see him. I think it's it speaks to how serious the injury was slash is. Um, but, you know, quite 
what the prognosis is, we'll never know because Arsenal are very guarded about that kind of uh, information reaching the public domain. Yeah, and I think particularly in the case of Partey, where you know he's a player with such a history of injury problems, um, I think there's you know acute sensitivities around some of that information. So I actually got a question about him here, which which maybe we should do. Adam Singh on the Discord. And he wasn't the only person who asked a question along these lines. said, is Declan Rice part of the problem? Uh, now, before you immediately end this call, Andrew, <laughs> he goes on, amazing defensively, but are we missing the quick ball progression of Thomas Partey? James once said, referring to Partey, that there aren't many players capable of doing what he can do. Is Rice one of those? Is Rice... I think he does it differently in that he carries the ball more than Partey. Like mm-hmm. he will drive forward with the ball from deep positions, whereas Partey, I think, will move the ball more quickly. Again, is it is it a deliberate thing in terms of how we play that there is more security in possession? Therefore, we're not getting the ball quite forward uh, the way we did last season. I'm not sure. I think the other aspect of this is that there was a consistent player in the midfield with Thomas Partey last season, an experienced player who understood the system and who grew into the role that he uh, played really, really well, like with a plum. And maybe the issue is a brand new number six who has been brilliant for us, no two ways about it but also an uncertainty still in that left eight position where I don't think that player, whoever it is so far this season, is really as connected with the front line as Granite Xhaka was last season. Whether it's Kai Havertz, who's taken a while to grow into the role, but like everybody had a very... uh, anonymous sort of game yesterday. Yeah. Um, not everybody had an anonymous game, so that's not fair, but I think he had a kind of a, a, an anonymous game yesterday. Trossard doesn't do it there for me at all. I don't like him in that position. So I think that could be the kind of roadblock, if you like. You know, when you go to water the garden and hardly any water comes out of the hose and then you go back and there's like a, a twist in the hose. We've got a mm. twist in the hose in that left eight position, I think, this season. And Yeah, you do wonder, you know, there's a lot of talk about Arsenal offering a contract to, let's say, Ilkay Gundogan or somebody like that. You know, you do wonder how much smoother the transition might have been. I think it, it would have been a transition regardless. Mm. I don't think it's revisionist to say that Shaka was pretty great last season, you know, and that it was not going to be easy for any player to step into those shoes. Um, yeah. And it does, I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to sell him. I think there was a clear logic to it. And, you know, we spoke many times about the necessity for the team to move forward there. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, it does feel like it's, it has, it is taking some time for us to kind of find a way to make that work. And one name, obviously we haven't mentioned there is Fabio Vieira, who, you know again sort of out of sight out of mind a little bit at this point in time yes which is why you know I was really keen 
for Smith Rowe to be given a chance in the West Ham game or, or you know, even yesterday, I felt like it was the kind of game where he might well have been able to do something. Um, but I think it says, as I asked you in the first half, I think it says something about the way Mikel Arteta views Emil Smith Rowe that he's, that he's not using him, which leads me to a question from... JB, who's at Gunner Punner, who says, what's the point in keeping players at the club that the manager clearly doesn't trust to use? We have proper value sitting in Smith Rowe, uh, Reese Nelson and Aaron Ramsdale. I get that FFP restrictions mean we can't just buy. So surely the priority has to be selling players like this ASAP. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've got to convince me that there's a big market for those players right now. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. But it's also, you know, they're three English players. Yeah. Lots of Premier League experience. You know, th- there is a market for those kinds of players, whether it's quite as high as some people would suggest, I'm not sure. But I think in terms of sellable assets, you know, they've got to be right up there. I guess so. I mean, to expand slightly on what I say, I think in the case of Ramsdale... You know, I think the goalkeeper market in January is generally a pretty quiet one. You don't tend to go and get a new number one halfway through the season. And um, do you or should you sell him to Newcastle mid-season? If that's yeah, I mean, thing. they would be the club that you'd say that was the one that made sense. Does it make sense for Arsenal to strengthen a club who, whether we like it or not, are now effectively a competitor? You know, there's a lot to consider there. Um, in the case of Nelson, uh, we know that he's on a very high, I say high given his, you know, Premier League accomplishments to date salary. Um, and a buying club would have to obviously match that. Most players expect to get a raise when they move. Um, I don't know that there is a market among the clubs who could afford to do that for Reese Nelson. Uh, and in the case of Smith Rowe, I do wonder if he if you know if we're having conversations here about his sort of long-term viability and his injury record you can bet your bottom dollar that other premier league clubs are having them and maybe have some of those concerns i think he is the one where i would immediately be like well you'd think there would be a taker for him because the talent is so evident right mm. and we've seen it we've seen it um but i could understand why there'd be people caveats there but I think JB's broader point I don't mean to sort of knock it down I do think he's right if there are players the manager won't use then yeah uh, move them on and and replace them with ones that he does trust Um, I mean we talked about Mikel Arteta at the start of this Um, uh, what's the what do you call it part of the show second part of the show my brain is fucked I'm so sorry but we, we talked it about him. Yeah. Give I, us a break. I think just one of the things that, that frustrates me just a little bit with him is, you know, talking about needing a bigger squad. We have to have a bigger squad. We have to be able to compete across all fronts. We need depth. We need quality. But there is a reluctance to give certain players game time, which I understand on one hand, you know, I do understand that at times it's difficult to change a winning team. You want to maybe reward the players that have played well. But it 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 does feel that there are players who just will not get a look in regardless of 
what's happening. And again, uh, I'm coming back to the Nelson for Havertz yesterday. I don't know what that was or why that was. And if you're Emile Smith-Rowe sitting on the bench looking at Arsenal struggling to find a way through to score a goal at Fulham and you don't get on in that game, where does that leave you in your own mind as a player in terms of your own confidence? You know. Yeah, I, listen, I, I do share some of those uh, frustrations a little bit. I, I do sometimes think maybe there's a bit of... Obviously, we don't know all the background. Of course. But yeah, yeah. sometimes if from the outside, it does feel a bit like hypocrisy. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I rate Eddie higher than the average Arsenal fan. Um, not saying I think he's a world beater, but we kind of um, speak about Mikel Arteta's ruthlessness. So say maybe his handling of Aaron Ramsdale, we'd say he's been ruthless there and that's what you need as a manager. But I do feel like, well, has he been ruthless in his assessment of Eddie? Has he been ruthless in his assessment of Reese Nelson? I don't think to the same degree. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. And that sort of is hard to kind of square the circle of that. Yeah, yes. I think so. And then again, that may be because there's things in the background that we don't appreciate or understand. But like, I, I do feel like it's kind of a bit of a selective ruthlessness at times. Um, I think if you're going to be ruthless, you've got to be ruthless across the board. Mm. Um, how about this question? Okay. Uh, a, si a simple, narrow question, says AS37Guna on Discord. Can Arsenal win the title without any signings in January? Uh, and he goes on, for the purposes of this conversation, no one gets injured. No fence sitting, please. No one gets injured. So we have a completely clean bill of health. But as do Man City and, and Liverpool. Right. And can Arsenal sign I will say no. So I'm not sitting on the fence. Okay. Because I feel like we're missing a player in our forward line who would just give us the little bit that could see us win more points than Man City and, and Liverpool. I just, yeah. that's the, that's the, the thing, like, because if nobody's injured, we have Timber, we have Tommy Asu, you know, I think we're set across the back line. I think we're more or less set in midfield, albeit with that question mark over the left eight position. But once you go beyond Saka Martinelli, Jesus, I know Trossard has scored goals and can make assists, but I just feel like there's something else required in a title-winning team in the forward line, and we don't have it. And the other teams, I think, do in different ways. Obviously, Liverpool have got um, you know quite a lot of uh, depth in those positions, but they also have a genuine world-class player in, in Mohamed Salah, and Man City have Erling Haaland. You know, and I think those are kind of difference maker players in in the games that you need to win if you want to win a title. Yeah, I, so I'm tempt. I was tempted to say yes, 
Arsenal can, because the question is not, will Arsenal win the league? It's can they do it? You know, is it feasible if everyone stays fit and they don't sign anyone? And, and I am tempted to say yes. Um, I think there have been periods this season where I've thought with this group of players that they were playing in a way that suggested they could well do it. Um, the thing is, it's not just about injuries. Injuries aren't the only concern. Say with the front three, it doesn't make you immune to fatigue. It doesn't make you immune to being off form. As we're seeing. Yeah, it doesn't make you immune to, you know, trying everything for 70 minutes, but you just require a different dimension or a fresh injection mm. of legs in that final 20 minutes. I do think that is the, the missing piece in the squad, you know, that ability to really add threat in the final stages of games. Yep. I just don't think we have it to the same extent as others. Um, and I think that is the next step. Now, whether or not, you know, my understanding a week ago was that that was not top of the agenda for January. You know, it was something that they mm. needed, they know they need, but there were more immediate concerns about the defence primarily and maybe the midfield. Um, but yeah, if I was picking, you know, someone said to me the other day, what's your dream January signing? My dream January signing is Pedro Neto. I, yeah, I had the same discussion with Lewis in the, in the um, preview podcast over on Patreon uh, yeah. b- before this game where my preference i know there's a lot of talk about a striker but in january and we went into it in a bit more detail as to why it would be a bit more feasible to to sign a, a wide player uh, in january than a striker in january particularly the striker that everybody would want us to have yeah i think a wide player would be my ideal signing if it's pedro neto or somebody else you know that that i think adds something to the squad that it's missing and, uh, you know, the centre-forward question is still there, but I think you've got a much, much better chance of addressing that in the right way in the summer, in the summer market and not in the January market when the players everybody's looking for are needed by the clubs that they're currently at. And in order to prize them away, you're going to have to do something ridiculous. And I don't know that financially we're capable of doing that. And I don't also know if that is the right way to to do your transfer business anyway, you know, so. No, and, and listen, I don't think anybody is suggesting centre forward's not uh, mm. a position that needs to be addressed in the next 12 months. It absolutely is. But yeah, I think right now, if I was looking what might help get this team over the line, um, it would be that kind of alternate mm. wide forward. I, I just think what we demand of Saka and Martinelli is so enormous. Um, and inevitably there will be dips. You know, Martinelli is arguably kind of experiencing one of those yeah. at the moment. And we don't really have a viable alternative. Mm. What about these A couple of slightly similar questions from Twitter? First from David Sokolow. 
Sokolo, uh, who's at Sokolo David underscore David, says, Happy New Year. Uh, I apologize if I just butchered your name. Why don't the front three switch positions during matches or the eights? Seems like a simple tactical move that could, prov- uh, could provide some unpredictability to the attack. And the chief, who's at Macho underscore Grande one, he says, I know, I know I'm a broken record. Why won't Arteta entertain switching Saka and Martinelli onto their strong side? It's been the same attacking patterns of play for too long now. The opposition has sussed out the best way to nullify our attack. Time for a change. Interesting question. I mean, I have noticed that Saka has been, um, occasionally in the way we play, he's been taking up slightly more sort of centre-forwardy positions, you know, as the game moves into the final phase. Uh, playing a bit more narrow at times, for better and worse, to be honest. Sometimes it just means he gets absolutely crowded out. Uh, but they don't switch for any great length of time. You know, I think there are diagonal runs in there, but yeah, it's not like they spend 10 minutes on the opposite wing to see what the, what change they can get out of that fullback. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that is a bit odd. Uh, especially when it's not working. Mm. You know, we spoke about those triangles on the left-hand side and the right-hand side. And maybe Arteta's just very wedded to those relationships. But it seems to me like a, a kind of, yeah, a useful way of introducing some hmm. novelty, some unpredictability, a bit of X factor to an Arsenal attack that that feels quite predictable at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think whatever about the eights switching over, but I do think maybe switching the wingers. Yeah would would certainly help a bit but it it does feel like it seems like an obvious thing so it can't be something they they just haven't thought of you know there must be a reason why they never do it mm. i i it's probably wedded in arteta's you know when he talks about relationships and and players being uh, good in tight spaces and and those sort of connections that they have on the pitch i think he he's keen to maximize those connections which means not switching players maybe that's the explanation i'm not 100 percent sure but these guys train with each other you know all day long uh all day long but you know every day and and those you know you're telling me that odegaard and um martinelli couldn't connect with each other yeah i think they can you know so yeah i'd be i'd be keen to see a bit more of that yeah i'm with you there i'm with you there um Let's have a look. What have I got? Some of these topics we kind of yeah. went through in part one. Uh, what about this from Jay, who's at J2 1983? Jay says, given the obvious creative issues in attack, why is Jorginho not getting any minutes or chances off the bench? Uh, very strange, given our dominance in possession. I did think about him yesterday. I did as well, yeah. I have to say, I was thinking about, you know, like I would have preferred Smith Rowe, but I did wonder if perhaps Jorginho and pushing Rice a little bit further forward, given the way he could carry the ball, might have been an option. But we did, of course, make a halftime change, so you've only got you've only got two more opportunities to to make changes, right? It has been noticeable in the last few games just how deep Declan Rice is. Yes, He's- I actually have written that down in my notes that in some phases of the play he is basically playing as a centre-back. Yeah, he's the middle centre-back between Gabriel and and Saliba, which is different, isn't it? It is different from where, even when he's been playing as the six, he hasn't been dropping quite as deep as that. No, that's been an evolution. I mean, it must be deliberate, right? What what do you think 
that is? Is it to to try and pull the opposition into a different shape by dropping him in and then you get Martin Odegaard into that midfield space because he's been uh, popping up in that in that central area quite a bit more. So somebody has to go with him. Therefore, you know, is there a domino effect in terms of what they're trying to do with the opposition? I think so. I, I presume it's just about kind of, yeah, creating those lanes essentially um, for Rice, Saliba and, and Gabriel to pass into. But it has been a shift. There was, do you see that catch that moment yesterday between Gabrielle and yeah. Rice? And I've only seen it once, but it seemed to me that Gabrielle was telling Rice, or even though the Arsenal had just made a clearance, I think in their own box, Gabrielle put it out for a corner. It seemed to me that he was telling Rice to stay up, to play higher. Um, that was my interpretation of yeah. it anyway. I didn't quite understand what it was. I mean, I saw it, but yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it was. I'd have to go back and, and watch it again. Yeah, I, I think I think he says the words, uh, let's have a look, stay up or stay high or something right. like that. And Rice kind of seems to be saying, well, we just nearly conceded a goal, which is why I'm coming back covering. I, you know, I, it almost felt like, I mean, listen, this is really a lot of layering a lot on top of a, a very brief interaction here. But like Gabriel had a sense that Rice was almost playing on, on top of him in Saliba at times. Um but yeah, I have noticed that change in terms of the depth of his position at certain points. Mm. Uh, and I'm not necessarily seeing it as a huge benefit at this point no, in time. No, I don't think it's coincidence that um, we've been, well, look, against West Ham, there was a bit more obviously to, to our game than there was yesterday, but uh, it, it did feel part of why things were not as connected yesterday as as they should have been. So, And as for Jorginho, I mean, no, we haven't seen a great deal of him. Um, he's been very animated and involved on the sidelines. Uh, mm. Feels like he's almost sort of segueing into a, a, a coaching role at times. Um, he's so involved from the kind of tactical point of view on the, on the, from the touchline. But yeah, I, yesterday was one of those games where I just thought maybe, you know, it's just about simply moving the ball quicker mm. side to side and trying to find those spaces earlier. And he has the, the technical capacity to do that. I yes. know the conditions in the second half <laughs> played their part in the game as well. But yeah, I, I did wonder if he might get on. Um, and the changes we did make, uh, as discussed, didn't particularly help. No, they did not. Um, let's finish off with this one because it is New Year's Day. Sure. And... Um, you know, we have to go about our, our business of lying down and holding our heads in dark rooms. Uh, at least I do anyway. Yeah. Um, but this is from uh, Jonas or Jonas82, who's at Jove82 on Twitter. He says, Happy New Year, lads. And uh, thanks for making games like this a little bit uh, less hard to take. Okay, thank you. Uh, we do our best. Uh, Trossard and Corners will never be a success. Who else would you rather see take corners from our left side? Every bad corner is a missed opportunity, and we have lots of them. And I, you can answer that. I want to ask you, do you think we should occasionally use an outswinging corner? Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, I, I think in Saka and Odegaard, we have players more than capable of delivering a dead ball um, from that side with their left foot. 
I remember Declan Rice taking maybe yeah. one or two corners uh, earlier in the season, or free kicks, certainly. Um, obviously, Martinelli, when he's on, tends to be on them. Is there anybody else? I mean, yeah, beyond Rice, for a right-footed in-swinger, mm. uh, there aren't a great deal of options that jump out at me. David Ryer's good with the ball at his feet, isn't he? <laughs> and he likes to take a, a high position. Get him up there, yeah. Aggressive position, taking the corners. I, I mean, know he's gone short. Um, <laughs> yeah, the manager I don't know. Do you have any bright put- ideas for corner taking? Um, I mean, Martinelli is really the only one beyond Trossard. Maybe Nelson if he's on the pitch, but again, that's mm. a relatively rare thing i just think the delivery has got to be better and it's it's strange to me that over the last couple of games pretty much every corner has been aimed at the near post every single yeah. one and there is a, a margin in which that is a successful corner and it's a small one and there's a much bigger margin where it's a bad corner because if you err on the near post side of things it just looks terrible uh, saka took a couple of yesterday that were not great Trossard is, like I said, he's taken some of the worst corners I've ever seen in the last couple of games. Um, So I just think the focus should be on better delivery and maybe a bit more variation, whether that's an outswinger, whether that's going to the back post or, you know, penalty spot or something uh, with a bit more, uh, it gives you a bit more of a margin for error, you know, a bit more the potential for something like the Fulham second goal is much greater if you get the ball uh, in industrial terms, just into the fucking mixer, you know? Yeah. Listen, I don't hate that idea at all, especially when you've got people like Gabriel, Saliba to attack it. Yeah. You know, listen, I, I know Yova has done a really good job with our set pieces and we've got some nice little routines, but there is something to be said for aiming for the big, tall, powerful guys in the middle of the box <laughs> and just <laughs> lumping it into that area and seeing what happens. Yeah. As you point out, that Fulham goal, it's just the chaos that you get by delivering a ball into that central area. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of variation. All right. Way. All right. Well, look, uh, hopefully everybody is feeling okay today after the disappointment of yesterday and the disappointment of the West Ham game. And, um, you know, fingers crossed we can get ourselves back on track against Liverpool. Something we'll talk about a bit later in the week. For now, though, we'll leave it there. Once again, wish you all a very, very happy, healthy and peaceful 2024. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.